Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. So many of us have been there, trying so hard to make a relationship work until finally we realize we can't do anything more. There's nothing left to salvage. It's time to get out. And in some cases, we're leaving a partner who we thought was the one. We're back on Tinder at a time when we'd hoped to be shopping for wedding dresses like all our friends. We're going to baby showers, maybe our friend's second or third baby shower, and we don't even have a boyfriend. Lisa Cleary went through a bad breakup at 31. In addition to grieving the demise of her relationship, she lost her job and ended up sleeping on friends' sofas for several months. She felt defeated and demoralized. This was not where she expected to be at 31. This was not where she wanted to be at 31. Like so many of us, Lisa got knocked down. But through her pain and struggle, she developed grit and perspective. She shares her experience in her book and joins us today to discuss the question, can anything good come from a bad breakup? Here's a little bit more about Lisa. Lisa Cleary is a tough love self-help author and blogger. She recently released the book, How to Survive a Breakup, When All Your Friends Are Birthing Their Second Child. Cleary's work has appeared in Today, The Huffington Post, Women's Health, Love What Matters, The Financial Diet, and more. She was a former daily health columnist for NBC in D.C., Cleary focuses on breakups and relationships, mindsets, and goals. She bypasses the traditional cheerleader approach within the self-help industry and realistically dives into our everyday issues on her blog, lisacleary.com. She also features interviews with pop culture and public features, including pop culture artist Ashley Longshore, Bravo's Riley Gerber from Below Deck, Bravo's motherhood guru, Rosie Pope, and more. My interview with Lisa Cleary after this. Lisa, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited. Congratulations on your book. That is very exciting. And it is a daunting task to try to put down your thoughts and experiences in a book format. It's a lot of work, I know, firsthand. And also, your book is very personal. It's very vulnerable. It's autobiographical. And so I think there's another level of depth and vulnerability that you display when an author sets out to do that. So congratulations on your book. I hope it felt therapeutic for you as you wrote it. And I know from reading it that there's a lot of good stuff in there that's going to help many people as they move through the pain of a breakup. Thank you. Uh, It was very therapeutic when I wrote it. I wrote it as I was going through a breakup at 31 years old. And that was at a time when I felt like a lot of my friends and family members were moving forward in their life, whether it be marriage or relationships. And so I was doing an Amazon search and trying to find something that could help me. And I realized there wasn't really anything out on the market at the time. So I was like, you know, I'm a writer. I want to get back into this. And so I wrote it again as I was going through the steps. So it is very personal because I was writing as I was experiencing those emotions. So I hope that um, that's a unique perspective uh, for that. Yeah, I I love the notion as you did, I did that with my book. I wrote the book that I wish had been available to me when I was going through what, in my case, was many, many years in the single scene and dating and being told I was too picky and I must be too intimidating and all the things that single women hear. And like you, I went and looked for the book and didn't find it. So I wrote it myself. So I get where you're coming from. And I know I think that's a really I think it's a very honest place to come from. And your book 
is very honest. And I appreciate that. In fact, there were, as I was reading, I was highlighting and putting some notes and and thoughts because so much of what you share in your book is very much the same types of things that I experienced that I know my listeners have experienced over the years, the thoughts, the emotions, and trying to take charge of all of those. I think, again, like I said, it was, it's quite honest and vulnerable and I appreciate that. And I think there's another little twist that my listeners might be interested in knowing is that you are a writer. You've written for a lot of publications about self-help and getting after it and searching for your dreams and, ch- and chasing them and getting happy. And here you were in the midst of probably the most painful situation you'd ever encountered and going, wait a minute, I'm the one who's telling other people how to, how to get happy and how to pick themselves up and dust themselves off. And here I am and I'm having a hard time doing that myself. Yeah. So I started out in self-help writing And I was one of the writers who would write those brief lists, like 10 steps to be happy or five steps to get to a better you. And that was when I was much younger. So as my writing evolved, as I experienced more hardships or more difficult situations, I realized that I needed to shift out of that idealistic mindset with self-help because that wasn't really helping me. Mm. So I say that that was ironic in that I'm writing about it. And then suddenly at 31, and I use age repeatedly because I think with women, that's used, you know, for and against us as milestones of when we should achieve things by. So I found at 31, I was suddenly um, single, which isn't the worst thing in the world. But at that time, I write about it as it was, as if it were. And I was also laid off at the time and trying to find a new place. I was crashing on people's couches. So I was homeless at the time and had nowhere to live. So it was very ironic that at 31, yes, I was a self-help trying to coach people, but then I also was jobless. I had nowhere to live and I was single. And so the joke was, you know, somebody help the self-help. And I got very (laughs) quiet at the time and really needed to recalibrate. So In my book, a lot of it is very humorous. A lot of it is very self-deprecating and melodramatic because (laughs) at the time I thought that was the worst thing. And there's so much worse in life. But I wanted to write from the point where many are where it's kind of like, well, what's next? Or I'm single, now what? And, you know, so it was very satirical and I make fun of myself a lot. So I hope that I can help (laughs) people, but also be real and, you know, be a little bit self-deprecating. Yeah, you're very clear that in your your moments where you acknowledge, I'm being melodramatic here, but that's what it felt like. It felt like the worst thing. And, and one of the quotes that you that I, that I uh, underlined was, I feared being single at a time when most of my friends were transitioning to such different stages in their lives. And I think at 31, so I have listeners who are in their 50s and 60s, and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, Lisa, you're a baby. You've got so much time, right? <laughs> but it's all relative. And those milestone birthdays, you hit 30 and you you take stock of where you are. And whether you want to have these thoughts or not, you have a notion of where you quote unquote should be. And that could be based on societal messages that you've internalized. That could be based on your own biological clock ticking. That could be based on comparing yourself to your friends, which is something that you talk about quite a bit in the book as well. So these are realities that we experience. And I do believe, I I don't know anyone in my community through my listeners to my community on Instagram. I don't know anyone who hasn't grappled with these, these very real issues. Now, sometimes we want to be above it. I mean, I remember at your age, I would say things to myself like, well, I shouldn't care if I'm single. I should be a strong, independent woman and I should be just getting after it. And who cares? I shouldn't worry about men. But then I would, so I'd feel bad for feeling bad about being single. <laughs> it's like I couldn't win. And then to throw it on, on top of, of this pain to not have a job and really And I need to look up the source as far as where I read this, but I'm pretty sure that Freud had two big pillars of our existence, love and work. And we need them to be to be fully thriving. We want to feel that we are resonating with our best self in both realms. And here you had both realms. You got the carpet pulled out from under you in both of these realms at the same time, which is really hard. Yeah, it was. And just for everyone listening, the the book, it's my first book. So it's called How to Survive a Breakup When All of Your Friends Are Birthing Their Second Child. 
So the title alone is um, humorous. And I wanted to explore, I felt like with milestones that women constantly and, you know, everyone out there, but especially women constantly, I feel like are evaluated by what milestones that they can or they should achieve. And so it was from those pressures, I felt that internally, and I felt like that I needed to prove my worth. And, you know, maybe that's through a relationship or, um, you know, through a, through writing a book, or maybe it's home renovations or things like that. And so I feel like for people and especially women across the board, no matter what life stage you're in, if you don't hit milestones, then that means that you aren't as happy as you could be or as happy as you should be. And so I wanted to break down that hitting milestones and being happy can still be two separate isolated things. And that's something that I wanted to emphasize. And there were times when I was like, you know, is something wrong with me because I'm single? And I never always felt like that internally. I always felt like that, though, when I was in social situations you know, in the workplace, my stability was even questioned because I wasn't married. And I thought that's unfair um, because people would ask, oh, are you married? Or um, do you have kids or do you want kids? And so I thought that those are kind of, you know, conversational, normal, everyday topics that people would talk about. But I always felt also that they were expected, that when you're a certain age, that you should have those things. And it's perfectly okay not to. And it's perfectly okay to be happy in no matter, uh, you know, no matter the life stage that you're in. Um, So, you know, I felt like those pressures, again, were from society. And there's a way where you can just reshift that conversation. And so hopefully this is my small contribution to try to do that. Yeah, because I think so many of us do. And I don't think we mean to do this. We want to be aware that we're doing this, but I think very often we tie our happiness to those achievements, quote unquote, the achievement of getting married and achieving having those kids on the timeline that we expected. And when that doesn't happen, we then, we start to doubt ourselves. As you spoke to, we might doubt ourselves because people look at us sideways like, why aren't you married yet? Uh, All the other women who are 31 that I know are happily married and having their second child. And so they start looking at you sideways and wondering, is there something wrong with her? Which actually gets right back to my book because I heard all of those things and felt that pressure. And I really deeply had to do exactly what you're encouraging your readers to do try to disassociate your own happiness and your own self-worth from those other realities that you can certainly deeply desire, but you can't hang your happiness on those things because those things are not 100% in your control, which is something you talk about in the book, The Control. And I know you identify as a type A person. And one of the quotes that I that really struck me, you said, The thought of not being able to fully control my future was frightening, and I no longer wondered when I'd have the chance at legitimate love. I wondered if. Yeah, well, I really appreciate you reading it and pulling out that quote because um, that's one of my favorites. But I am a very, yeah, I am very type A. I am a obsessive planner. And so when people want things done, they come to me. So I joke that you know, shoot, I'm a bridesmaid in eight weddings. And, um, you know, it's kind of like I'm everyone's go to bridesmaid. And then, you know, I'm going through a breakup. This is just so unfair. And I say unfair in air quotes. But I guess it's, it it was, it was hard, because you want to control everything. That's just my nature. And with that comes a lot of um, benefits because I'm able to get things done and I enjoy it. I enjoy the, the adrenaline of it. But the one thing and the biggest thing in life you can't control is other people. And that's the most interesting, exciting part of it all because you can't control that. And so when you have a relationship that's great or a friendship or a great working relationship, that makes it so amazing because it doesn't have to be forced. It happens naturally. You know, conversely, if you consistently keep going through breakups or if relationships aren't working out, you kind of wonder, like, well, shoot. Um, and so in, in the book, I also write, if you put everything into a neat little box and you expect your life to be a certain way, 
it's so unrewarding at times because life isn't like that. Life has its downfalls too. And learning from those downfalls is the most important thing. At least it was for me. And that really is one of the biggest lessons that I take away. And so, you know, I write, I write about that, how I did that and in various things uh, as I went through the process. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes that I came across, probably I was maybe in my mid thirties by this time. And it's from Joseph Campbell. And it says, we must be willing to let go of the life we've planned so as to have the life that's waiting for us. And it speaks to control and it speaks to exactly what you just discussed, which so many of my listeners identify with because they are go-getters. They are high achievers. They're the women who set goals and reach them, check. And like you said, have that adrenaline rush. And I think that I saw some research recently that when we have a checklist and we check that that box of that to-do item is done, we get a a hit of dopamine and we like that. (laughs) And then we deal with, with love that doesn't always play out as planned. And what are we going to do with that? How are we going to make sense of that, be okay with it, and not allow those disappointments and heartbreak cause us to doubt ourselves, to question our own worth, to, and it's normal because again, that's control, right? If I can doubt myself, I go, man, I'm messing up with love. So let me figure out what I'm doing incorrectly, what I'm doing wrong. Then I'll target that, fix it, boom, it's problem solved, right? So it's again, it's con- trying to control. So it comes from a really logical mindset of normally when I have a situation that's not working out, I do ABC, find the solution, done. Love just doesn't work out that way. Are you looking for customized, personalized gifts? Mugshop Montreal by Brie Jackson has got you covered. She offers a beautiful selection of high-quality, personalized custom products. What started off as a fun project for family and friends soon developed into a passion for creating custom keepsakes for anyone, for any occasion. She decided to take the plunge and follow her artistic vision by creating Mugshop Montreal, a home-based business where she collaborates directly with her clients, using their inspiration to design a detailed, heartwarming souvenir that many have given as gifts or have decided to keep for themselves. You can visit her on Instagram and Facebook at Mugshop Montreal to browse her lovely products. Can you tell us a little bit about Mark and your relationship? Because I know you talk about, again, getting back to control. You tried very hard for a long time to make this good enough relationship be the great relationship that you wanted it to be. Sure. So unfortunately, the problem with that is I often had an end goal in sight. And I think a lot of people do for relationships, especially with women at a certain age, you feel like, well, the next step should be you know, maybe moving in together, engagement or marriage, um, especially if all your friends around you are in that same stage. And, um, and so, you know, at that point, I wanted the relationship to mature. And there's a line between wanting a relationship to grow. And there's a line between wanting a relationship to be something that it's not, or to be where it's, you know, or, or a relationship that will never be there. So how do you, you know, kind of straddle that fence with, with waiting? And, and I, I, you know, I explored that I gave it time, I, you know, tried different tactics, but at the end of the day, we just weren't compatible. And so, you know, with that several years in, that's a scary thing. Yeah. When you've invested that much time into a person and, you know, and it's with friendships, it's with a lot of things, working at a certain job. And so I often feel like people are willing to, to settle because they feel like that they should, again, hit those milestones in life. So I call it the toxic milestone mentality. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, you know, something's not right. And you can give and give. And I find with women, especially that we want to control certain situations that we know aren't healthy. So instead of saying this relationship's unhealthy, you want to, and I wanted to think, well, it must be me. How can I take five steps forward and overcompensate, you know, and take control of that situation? But when we do that, it's really draining. And I knew that the relationship was not growing. And we both knew that. At some point, it's also just an issue of compatibility and and where things are in life. 
Um, but we had started dating, you know, when we were younger and then years later, priorities shift. And mm-hmm. that's really what happened. And it is hard because, you know, at the time I was 31, I had never been married. I did not have children. And while I want both, breaking up with someone at that age, you kind of wonder, well, is this something that that could happen for me? And I find that a lot of people stay in relationships that are unhealthy just for that, you know, just for that companionship. And is that worth it? And so that's a question that I explored. And ultimately, you know, I went through with a, with a breakup. And from that, you know, I'm in, you know, such an amazing place. I'm a lo- I'm very happy that I gave myself that opportunity. But that's just, you know, it's just how the cookie crumbled. And at that time, years back, it was the worst thing. And now it's the best thing that had happened. So it's just funny how perspective and time, you know, really did a complete full circle for me. And that's so powerful. In the midst of it, it's so hard to remember. And it does help as we get a little older, we get a few more years under our belts in the sense that we go, oh, yeah, five years ago, that felt like the end of the world. And now five years on, I'm so glad. I mean, I did a post one time a while ago and I said, the one that got away did you a favor. But over my years of dating and I started dating at 15 and I didn't get married until I was 42. And along the way, my listeners know I called off an engagement at age 34, two months before the wedding. So I certainly know about being in your mid thirties and going, wait, this isn't where I thought I'd be. And yes, everyone else is married and the kids. And I'm wondering if that's going to ever happen for me. But that perspective that you speak to is critical. And it's crucial that we remind ourselves in the midst of what feels so horrific that it's very likely that there will be a, a silver lining to this at some point, even when you can't see it in the moment, you have to lean into that trust and that faith that there is, in fact, a reason. And I used to hate when people would say that to me when I was like in my early 20s, everything happens for a reason. I'd be like, shut up. (laughs) It's not true. (laughs) Sometimes something's just horrible. But then you get a little bit older, like I said, and you realize that, for, for example, with you and Mark, to continue to try to force something that just wasn't a natural fit would have been soul crushing. Yes, you had to go through the initial breaking up and, and and losing that comfort and that companionship and that hope, right? That hope of a future. You you said, one, getting to the future, you said, I missed the future of Mark even more. And I couldn't stop comparing my loneliness to the times we spent together. So in that initial breakup, you missed the idea of what could have been with you guys. And you missed having that partner, that person to do life with. But if you had stayed, eventually you would have felt as if you were settling. There's no way around it. And it sounds like you already have some of that clarity at this point. Yeah, I do. And I am 35 right now. So, you know, writing about a breakup, that was several years ago. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely do have clarity because I think the biggest thing that I always tell people is, and I get, a, you know, I get people who, who will write to me or who will say, my life isn't where I want it to be. Yeah. And, you know, and that, that comes with clarity because I was there. But what I learned is, you know, if you want that happily ever after, which, which is, is always exhausting. And if you keep chasing it, it's, it's, it's tiring, it's draining. But I came to a realization that I don't want to hate my life while I keep living it. And then let's say I finally get to that happily ever after. Maybe it's a husband or a partner, or maybe it's a corner office with a view. Well, the whole way that I'm going, I don't want to hate it because what kind of life is that? Is that really a happily ever after? If you're hating where you are and you're hating your transitions. And to me, that's not. So the shift that I wanted to make was like, how do I laugh at this? How do I learn that I can use this to push me forward. And I did do that. So I wrote about dating and, you know, the, the kind of the awkwardness about it. But at some point, you just have to embrace it and you have to laugh at yourself. And if you can't do that, then is that for me, that wasn't a life that I wanted to lead. So that really came to just understanding that life has good and bad parts, uh, no matter no matter where you are. And that was really where that clarity for me came from. Yeah, it's such a decision. And that's coming from 
as a psychologist, I was trained, my master's is in clinical psych. So I was trained as a therapist and absolutely we are, when we are in that role, we empathize with the emotions. And as you had fun with in your book, kind of making fun of your own melodramatic moments. But yeah, the emotions are real. But then there comes that point where we go, okay, the emotions are real, but also my thoughts are fueling the emotions. And if I keep spewing negative thoughts, hopeless thoughts around in my mind, I'm not helping the emotions to heal. I'm fueling them in a negative manner. And the decision to go, okay, my happily ever after starts today. And no matter what the future holds, it's unclear. It's always going to be unclear. (laughs) And I don't want to live my life, like you said, being miserable in the process of going for those goals. And I think there's just a tension there of, like I said earlier, deeply desiring partnership, the family, the, the goals that most women deeply desire. And yet, if it doesn't play out the way that we had initially hoped, to find some joy in our journey and our process along the way. Yeah. And so one of the biggest things that for me, that was really meaningful is I would call my mom whenever I was upset and I'm like, you know, this is so unfair. I want to be someone who just has everything work out for them. And I also said that to one of my best friends, Katie, and you know, they both said, and my mom would say, is that really the worst thing? Look at everything else that you have. Yeah. And you can certainly look around to people who have what you think is, is everything that you want and be happy for them. And I certainly was, but that is just how life works. You know, my friend Katie would say, well, then you'd be a simpleton. You know, this gives you grit. This gives you some personality (laughs) um, to be able to do that. And so I just had, yeah, I just, I just had to laugh at that. And then keeping in mind that I love, I truly love seeing everyone's families and their children on social media, et cetera. But just keeping in mind that, you know, people are going to be posting what's positive and not necessarily some of the hardships that they face. Maybe it's a marriage or maybe it's a divorce. And so we want to use, use social media to compare and to brag. But understanding that that's not always real. I definitely love the behind the scenes bloggers, (laughs) Instagram posts where you see how it looks and how it really is because no one can, you know, maintain that all the time. And, you know, with, with, with my writing, one thing that I shifted to uh, is I wanted to stop writing how to reach, um, how to reach an endpoint or what Mm. endpoints people should reach. And again, that talks to, you know, where, no matter where you are in life, you know, you could get that home renovation, you could lose the however many pounds that you want, you could get the relationship. But I wanted to talk about the, the ups and downs in, in getting there. And I felt like on the market at the time that there were a lot of blogs, there were a lot of books that told you how to reach goals or how mm-hmm. to get, you know, how to get what you want, but they don't talk about the lows that you're going to face or the challenges that you might face along the way. And a lot of breakup books kind of want to start out the gate with like, you can do it, like be the best that you can be. And I wanted to come up with an angle in that it's okay if you lay on the couch like I did for weekends on end. It's okay if you are exhausted. And at that point, I was temporarily depressed. And that's okay. You know, a lot of people think, well, if I don't start out, you know, on my first day towards achieving a goal with just a whole spreadsheet or a whole metric system of where I should be in, I, you know, I'm guilty of being like that, that you should just scrap that goal or, or that something's wrong with you and it's okay to be sad. And that was also one of my biggest messages is that once you actually allow yourself to feel sad, to explore, you know, every low that you have and not dull it, then that's really going to be the kickstarting of whatever process um, that you want to go through. And for me, that was just learning how to be independent and understanding that that's not the scariest thing, you know, in the world. Yeah, it's interesting because there's, as you said, you're type A, so you like that linear path to the goal, right? And then it sounds like you were also 
allowing yourself and giving yourself permission to just be and to be temporarily depressed. I mean, who wouldn't be depressed? You guys dated for several years. You were 31 when you broke up. This was not what you'd hoped. As a psychologist, if you came to me and said, I think I'm depressed, I'd say, that's normal. <laughs> How could you not be depressed? Right. I mean, so it's giving yourself permission. And I, and I have to say, I was struck by the beginning of your book. You mentioned that initially you weren't a crier. You said that summer I cried for maybe the fifth time ever. Now I know once you went through the, the throws with Mark, you were crying more so, but it sounds like emotions had been something you'd kind of kept at bay, at least for the first part of your life. It, it was. And that's a good, that's a good call. I'm laughing only because my family will, will say that I'm I'm hardcore and I'm not necessarily someone to get choked up or rattled. Uh, and so will my friends. And as I've gotten older, I'm definitely more responsive and more emotional. But I felt like I tied in control with my emotions. So if I'm in control of something, mm-hmm. if I'm in control of, you know, of the good and the bad of a relationship, then, you know, everything is perfect and everything is orderly. And I think everyone's guilty of that to some extent. Mm -hmm. And so once I started to let people be themselves, that is something that I found to be more rewarding. There's going to be disappointment, no doubt. But when people are themselves and you click and you have chemistry, you know, with dating and with relationships, then that's great. And and that's something that I feel like a lot of people have to practice, myself included. And let's say from dating, you know, someone doesn't text you back right away. So then you want to take control of that situation and then text them. Well, mm-hmm. oh, I haven't heard from, you know, him in a while. I'm going to text him, you know, and sometimes that's fine. But that's also an example of taking control of a situation Whereas maybe it's better to take a step back and let that individual reach out to you and, and see how things go. So once I, yeah, once I took a step back and understood that with life came disappointment and with life came very imperfect things, not only did that help me and help my dating life and, you know, help my career and, you know, gave me something very honest to write about, um, but that in turn made me happier because I was able to experience all of the emotions. And I feel like, uh, you know, we want to, we want to fix things and be problem solvers when we're upset or when our friends are upset, like, oh, let's go to happy hour or, you know, let's, you know, he's not worth it or, you know, do self care things and take a bubble bath or dance to a song. And I'm certainly not against that, but I feel like that sometimes in the self-help industry that it can be a toxic positivity environment. And so one of my biggest self-help tips is to, to let yourself process your emotions, to be alone, to not look at your phone. And my biggest thing is to stop asking yourself when, when mm. is something going to happen? When is that job going to happen? Now, I'm not saying don't put in the work, you know, hard work is really the biggest thing that I champion throughout the book, but it's to stop asking a timeline for your life, because that's not something that we can always control. And I learned that. And that's really what I equate happiness with is not asking when and learning from your pitfalls. I love that. I love that not asking when, because that is definitely something that my community asks. And I don't blame them because I've been there. I've felt that I've wanted to know when as well. And I think it's a very wise word to remember when you catch yourself thinking that when, when, when to go, do I, you know, get a little distance from that? Do I have to know when can I be in this moment, appreciating all the wonderful things that are in this moment? Can I just be in this space and time right now? And then you also spoke to a bit ago about the grit that we develop and your friend was trying to give you that little word of encouragement. And it's so true. And I try to remind all my listeners, most of whom are single women, many of whom are single women, that that really all of this grit that we develop, and granted, I mean, we'd all like to be cruising down easy street all the time, but the grit, it pays off in spades. I know that I am 
a better wife because of all those years that I had to pick myself up, dust myself off and figure out a way to get happy, even when I didn't feel happy. And I was heartbroken yet again and feeling like, you know, I kind of feel like I've had more than my fair share of hard knocks in the realm of love. But I know I'm a better wife for it because I've learned to, like you talked about, face that fear of being single, face that fear of of being alone, spent many nights alone. And so I don't have that expectation that I think some people can inadvertently feel or experience when they have things happen on the timeline they want. They kind of just expect like, okay, I got married and so I'm 28 and I got married at 25 when I wanted to and you're supposed to make me happy and I'm not happy. So what are you doing, husband? You're not making me happy. I think that sometimes people can slip into that without realizing it. So I'm always trying to remind my single ladies like, you are developing so many skills that are, you feel alone and like, what's this good for? No, it's going to be great for your marriage. It definitely is. And even if marriage isn't the long-term goal, something that I really looked towards was the me time that I had at that age. And, um, you know, at, you know, uh, 33 or, or so, I had time that I felt like that many others didn't have. Now, of course, that could be bad because you could say, um, you know, shoot, I want to do something or go to a winery with someone. And it's harder because you have to ask friends or or various things like that. At the same time, that's time that a lot of people won't have. And so I put that towards writing a book. I put it towards my website and blogging. And I tried to utilize it towards self-development. And it's something that, you know, again, I go back to the self-help industry because I feel like people expect to be happy right away. And another version of my happiness, instead of asking, you know, instead of wanting milestones to continually happen is, is to put in the hard work. And for me, writing the book or, or working hard or working out, I don't enjoy do- doing those things necessarily in the moment. But, you know, down the road, after I've been able to push through it, then that's when I'm happy. And so I also feel like there's an expectation that, okay, I, I'm in a, I've gotten through a breakup. I want to date and find that person ASAP to be happy, you know, just like right. you had said, or I want to, um, you know, I want to quickly get those instantaneous results. And that's not always the case. And with that, with the long-term happiness, you have to put in the work, you have to date, um, you know, many years, because I, you know, I'm in the same situation as you were, or you have to put in the work to write or put in the work for whatever goal. And so people don't necessarily want to do that, because we expect to feel happy all the time, we expect that instant gratification. And that's just not, again, how things work out. And that's okay, because sometimes when we put in the work for many years, or when we date for many years, well, it all works out. And it's often how we don't think it will work out. It's, it's better. I know that's extremely cliche. <laughs> it truly is. But just keeping in mind that it's important not to compromise your happiness. It's important not to settle and, and to give it time. And I'll never have that answer for, well, you know, again, when, but it's just learning through that and understanding that, okay, I'm not going to blame myself for a relationship or a marriage that didn't work. You know, that's just a life's learning lesson I wouldn't have known. And it's just part of growth and, and maturity. Yeah, it's these big themes again of control and of comparison. And another quote that I highlighted from your book, speaking to happiness, you said, I needed to climb out of the mindset that I was entitled to everything, even to my own happiness. And realizing that happiness isn't something that's a quick fix very often. It is about being diligent. It's it's about the tenacity. It's about setting that goal and then being in that moment where it's no fun at all. Like you said, working out or, okay, I'm going to open my laptop and I'm going to get to chapter three. And you want the book to be done. You just want that feeling of it's done. I did it. But we that's not how life works. We, we go through those trenches. And we realize that, and this is something that psychologists study too, because we look at children, for example, and we want to, every every parent wants to give their kid the highest self-esteem. Self-esteem is not something any parent can give any child. We can give love, we can give support, we can give 
a lot to a child, but self-esteem has to come from setting a goal and reaching it, even for kids. So when anyone is entitled to anything or handed anything, it's actually a disservice, whether you're talking about children, ourselves, even for our own growth and development, realizing, okay, this is going to, it's going to really be difficult in the process. But I know that the happiness is something that is going, I'm going to feel because I've pushed through the difficult parts to get to that goal. For sure. And I think I, you know, I'll look to my friend circle or, or you two or, you know, anyone listening, but I'm, I know that every person has one friend who's candid everything and probably <laughs> has a beautiful Instagram account. And you're like, you know, she's never had to work for anything and she has it all. And it's not fair. <laughs> but if you sit and you talk to that person, you know, your friend's great, but Conversely, I'm sure we also have that one friend who has had to work for everything that they've had, who's yeah. had to, you know, survive layoffs and had bad relationships. And I guarantee you that that person who's had to work harder is probably your closer friend, is probably that person who has your back, um, who has more empathy, who has a, a more authentic friend circle. And so that's an example of, you know, of that grit of, of taking the hardships in life. If you just look in your friend circle, you can kind of see, you know, who's my go-to. And I guarantee you, it's going to be that person who's actually lived that life, who's not had everything just come, come their way and who can then tackle problems and tackle the tough times, you know, with, with compassion um, with other people. And conversely, that person who's not had to work hard or who's not had to go through emotions, that's probably the one who's going to explode over very minuscule things. And that's not something that I always tend to favor or who I want to be. And I want to be that person who, who, who enjoys all of life. We can't extract it out. And so a, a breakup, you know, as you read on, you'll find out like, you know, that's, that, that's nothing. I can, I can, I can do anything. But, you know, you got to start at, you know, at square one. And oftentimes that's with the problem or with the grit or, or whatnot. Yeah, completely. I'm thinking of some friends who have gone through <laughs> some very, yeah, I, you're talking, I'm like, yep, yep. I'm thinking of these friends that they come to mind. And I'm thinking of some who've gone through some really dark, dark hours yeah. and they, they emerge so strong and it's, and they, and it, it, frames the rest of their life for them because they're like, you know what? I won't fear this or that because it can't be as bad as what I've been through here. So would anyone say, yes, I want to go through a horrible divorce or my, my, my husband cheating on me or all these things that could be extraordinarily painful. No one would wish that to have happen in their life. But if they go through that, they emerge with a strength that they probably had no idea they had. And it allows them to tackle life's challenges, I think, with more self-certainty that they have what it takes. Definitely. And and then going off of that with your friends, those are the people you're going to have the more deeper connections with because they're able to open up more and have a better conversation than just surface level. And so, you know, I, I laugh because I was one of the people who had things handed to them, not necessarily in terms of, you know, work, but I just, you know, I was going through life great. Um, and I always worked hard. I always, um, you know, did all of that, but I expected, um, you know, various things to just happen and it didn't. And that made me now understand that when things go wrong, so what? Uh, you know, I don't care. And that actually makes for a much happier life when you, yeah, again, when you encounter those problems, because the little things, it's just, it's, it's nothing. It's just um, things not that you shouldn't get concerned about. And that attitude in and of itself is, is really liberating. It truly is. It really is. It gives you back to what you talked about earlier. It gives you perspective and it's that wisdom of knowing uh, okay, this isn't as big a deal as it feels in this moment. Cause I know I've been through something either worse or equally difficult and I have been able to manage it. I can't, you, you learn to trust yourself in ways that you, you can't learn that without facing hard times. I mean, again, I wish I could wave a magic wand and we could all learn all these great life lessons during the easy times, but that's just not how life works. 
If you have just a few seconds to help me out, I would so appreciate it. You can do so by heading over to Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star rating and a few sentences of review that helps others find the program and join the Love and Life family. Lisa, as we wrap up, I have a couple more things I wanted to address, but you you don't do a whole lot of it, which I love because you're basically saying it's it's kind of just sharing your process, but you do have a couple ideas. You You wrap up the book with some, this is what you should do. And two of them struck me that I think are really important, but a little bit hard. Uh, hard they're a little nebulous. They're harder to, to nail down. So you say, try to love yourself by figuring out why you love yourself. <laughs> and then your mm-hmm. final tip is learn to love yourself and then get over yourself. Because So can you speak to the self-love concept a bit? Yeah, so I had to start out by writing things that I thought were you know, that were self-affirmations. And so I feel like that when you think of the positives about yourself, that that's helpful. And so for me, mine is, um, you know, again, like my work ethic and getting things done and staying on top of deadlines and be able, you know, be able to watch those rolling deadlines, et cetera. And in part, that's from, you know, various work anxiety that I'll have. So it's helpful and it's also not helpful in my personal life. <laughs> right. With 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 that anxiety. So I do joke about that. So, you know, it's learning to to love yourself, but understanding that, you know, some of your strengths are also some weaknesses. So I can't say, you know, oh, I do so great at work or I do so great with writing, because uh, that would give me um, a huge head and probably make me very snobby and a miserable person to be around. <laughs> so it's kind of just acknowledging, you know, I am good at that and in a sense of humility. And then also, you know, maintaining that uh, that's great and that you're a great person. And, but at the same time, you, you know, that's not something that always needs to be shouted from a rooftop so to speak, or it needs to be validated on social media. And I say this, you know, running Instagram, my Instagram account or a website or whatnot, but that it's, 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 it's more rewarding when you, when you don't have to brag about it, or you don't have to take over a conversation to speak about yourself. And so that's what I mean by getting over yourself is, is understanding that, you're entitled to good things, but we're also entitled to bad things too. And so we can learn to love ourselves, but you know, let's be real. It's not going to be day long spa days or, <laughs> you know, or bottles of rosé. That's not self-love. That's not self-care. And self-care is also just saying, you know, oh, you know, this is a bad part of me and I recognize that, but I'm going to work on it. So I'm going to, you know, live my life knowing that I have flaws too. And so really that's what I mean by getting over yourself is um, sometimes bad things come your way and and that's okay. Yeah. And as we've been saying throughout this episode, those bad things, I'm an eternal optimist. And and you're right. You said, you know, we'd love to think we're entitled to good things and we're entitled to bad things too. The sun shines and the rain falls on the good and the bad. Like we can't work our way out of having a carefree, problem-free life. But we can see that those problems and those challenges and those difficulties can always be turned to good. They can give us that grit your friend spoke to. They can give us resilience. They can help us face future challenges with more self-certainty and trusting ourselves as, we, as we've been saying. So they can still be working for us, not against us. So I want to wrap up, Lisa, with another quote that I loved because it's so on brand for the podcast. My, uh, my theme of my podcast is take charge of your thoughts, take charge of your life. And you said, as you were encouraging people as they moved through this breakup that they might be going through or this challenging time, to remember you're a healthy human being who loves herself or himself and you're taking back control of your mind. So that was so me when you said that because as we've been talking about, the mind is where everything starts and I can't control what happens externally, but I absolutely can always control what's going on with my mindset. Yes, it's very true. And when you feel like, you're thinking negative thoughts, 
you know, that's okay. But it's also kind of like when you're going through a breakup or a hardship or going through rough spots in a relationship or a marriage, you can also say, well, what can I take from this? And how can I communicate um, with that other person in a better way or with myself or, or, or just really just growing from that. So I had to struggle with that at first because I just was inundated with all of the negative. But as you kind of sort through that, then that's when you're able to take control of, of, of the good and the bad. And that's, yeah. And that's, um, that's what I, what I did. And it was very rewarding. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you absolutely moved through that very difficult time, got it out on paper and <laughs> are sharing it with the world. And that's so, that's just empowering and I love it. And I'm so glad to have the opportunity to share your journey with my listeners. Thank you, Lisa, for joining me on the program. I appreciate it. Great. Thank you so much for having me. And also please let everyone know where to find you if they want to grab the book or find you and follow you on the socials. Sure. So my book is How to Survive a Breakup When All of Your Friends Are Birthing Their Second Child. And that is available on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Apple Books and Kobo. You can also find me at lisacleary.com. It's Lisa, C-L-E-A-R-Y.com. And I'm on Instagram at lisacleary3. And that's the number three. Great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having me on. The love and life hack for this week is a lot of good can come from a bad breakup. Thanks as always for joining us and sharing a part of your day with me. I appreciate you and I'm thrilled you're part of the love and life family. If you haven't had the chance to grab my free empowered dating playbook, head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com. The playbook will help you take charge of your approach to dating by dating empowered. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abram.